Well, you got to, how many of you have been in church your, most of your life for a long time? You didn't raise your hand, Janine. Okay, well, uh, tonight I just felt, I guess you could say led, to, to talk about this one area of life uh, for us as Christians. And you, we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. And I know sometimes people, you know, maybe want more of a, like a preaching sermon off of a text. But tonight I want to show you, and we, I want us to really delve into the war that we're in as Christians. Well, let me clarify that. Everybody's in the war. They just don't know it. And it's weird about life because everybody's fighting it and they don't know. And some of them, they think they're totally oblivious to it all. And that in and of itself is a strategy of the enemy. I mean, he's so clever. He's going to come after us for whatever way works to get us. But we are at war. We're at war for peace of mind, our own peace of mind. We're at war for tranquility and peace and life and, and the people you love. We're at war for sound minds. We're at war for good thoughts and a good and peaceful life. We're at war for our kids. We're at war for our families. We're at war for our marriages. We're at war for our church. We're at war for our friends and our neighborhood and our country. We're at war for the souls of everybody. Souls is what people are, what the enemy's fighting for. And if he can make you miserable on the way, that's what he wants to do. All that is happening all the time. It's ultimately a war for and about eternity. And maybe you don't look at it that way, and more, maybe this imagery is uncomfortable for you. I remember as a kid singing that song, All More Christian Soldiers, remember that? Now, if you were to sing that, you would probably get on the news for being militant or something like that. But the fact is, this, this imagery is all throughout the Bible. Let me, let me take you to one scripture that I think frames the entire issue. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These are the battle lines right here. This gives you the parameter of the battle. The enemy is after your soul, and he wants to destroy it. That's what he wants. It's hard to imagine somebody that's that evil. And why does he keep fighting, even though he knows he's going to lose? Because he's an evil person. And he's got more of a scorched earth mentality, if you're familiar with that, from different wars and battles over the centuries. But, you know, there's times when somebody knows they're going to lose, so they just burn everything on the way out, destroy everything. That's who he is. That's the kind of person he is, the kind of entity. I wouldn't call him a person. But as I said, the Bible is rich and full of military imagery, the New Testament especially. Now, the Old Testament, it's, it's got a lot of uh, military imagery, but the New Testament, it's almost in every book of the New Testament, almost in every chapter. And, I, and I, as I read it, I, and as I was preparing for this, this sermon tonight, I got to thinking, I don't know if I've really recognized that reading through the New Testament very often it's all over the place and why it's all over the place is makes sense because they were under roman occupation it probably not one day went by that the that the israelites the jews of the first century did not see a roman soldier because being under occupation they had to be controlled and forced to obey and forced to comply by the might of the roman empire that's how rome operated that's what happened so you would have soldiers in visible view all the time, and you had to come to terms with the fact that the army mattered. Not only did the army matter, but the army had influence. Not only did the army have influence, but it controlled their society. They had to get permission to do whatever they wanted if it was outside the norm of daily normal activity. Of course, doing that kept the peace. And if you're familiar with, with uh, human history, this, this period of time where the Roman government was in power, they call it the Pax Romana, which in Latin means Roman peace. 
because they kept that peace through force. It's amazing because uh, commerce flourished because traders, traders and business people could trust that they would be safe and not robbed. They knew that they could trade over, over all the Roman Empire and be relatively safe because there would have been one of those soldiers nearby. It's an interesting thing because they also punished uprisings and they kept control in a very violent and forceful way. Now that is the imagery that's before us as we start to look at scripture and kind of see this battle and this battle lines that are drawn along these lines. On the one hand, you have the enemy. He wants to steal everything he can from you. He wants to kill you. And if he doesn't kill you physically, he wants to kill your spirit. He wants to kill your hope. He wants to kill your joy. And he wants to destroy you. And yet Jesus' purpose, the purpose of God Almighty, is to give you a rich and satisfying life. It makes you wonder why anybody would be on the other side. I think part of the reason is they don't know why they're on the other side. They're just going with the flow. It's just what they know. And they're totally oblivious to, and they don't even understand what is even possible with them. You know, there's been a lot of things said about war over the years and over the centuries. A lot of famous people and famous quotes. And I think it it's good to take a look at a couple of them and just to think how it applies to this situation here. So uh, Sun Tzu, he's famous for, for writing uh, a whole treatise on war. He says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. One thing I fear that as Christians, we are ignorant of the enemy. We think we know, or we buy into the caricature of a, of a little demon with a long pointy tail and red horns. And he doesn't appear like that very often. Usually he's sneaking up or using other things. Um, this is a, a Roman uh, general said, in time of peace, prepare for war. Because again, Christians, we're not ready for this. It's, it's one thing to look at all the, the love, joy, and peace that the gospel offers, but we don't often realize or think about the fact that we're in a spiritual war all the time. Another one, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Benjamin Franklin wasn't really much of a warrior, but but he uh, was wise, at least in these things. Uh, let, me, let me take you to, to uh, well, Sun Tzu again. Every battle is won before it is fought. And for us as Christians, I want us to be prepared, not to be ill-equipped and not ready for the battle. Uh, there's a Matthew, a General Matthew Ridgway. You may have heard of him. He's a U.S. Army chief of staff. He wrote, he wrote in his autobiography that there are two kinds of information that no commander can do without. It's information pertaining to the enemy he faces, which we call combat intelligence, and information on the terrain, the terrain that the battle would be fought on. Now, some people think army intelligence is an oxymoron. I don't think so. I think it's something that we have to think about and draw battle lines and be prepared for what is coming. Because the fact is, we fight a spiritual enemy who is never going to give up, he's never going to sleep, He's never going to be conquered, at least not until Jesus conquers him ultimately. So you're going to have to keep fighting. And the thing about it is we're supposed to be aware of this and be thinking and being prepared. But as Christians, a lot of times we ignore this part. But it's all over, like I said, it's all over Scripture. So as you look at, for instance, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11, it says, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Here's something to think about for a minute. Is he smart? Yes. But it doesn't mean he necessarily has to outsmart you. The reason you're going to be outsmarted is you're not familiar with the schemes. And the thing is, you guys know schemers, right? 
You know games people play. Maybe your own kids. You know, I was reading an article uh, yesterday. I thought it was so funny. I, it got caught my eye because it said it, it was going through the steps that this five-year-old does to get what they want. And it talked about how they smile a certain way. They say, Daddy, hold me. When they get in his lap, they say, cuddle me. Then they say what they want. And he says, I was just, he wants to respond to that. But at the same time, he realizes he's creating a monster who's learning to manipulate at five. But you know what? Human beings, we learn that really early, earlier than five. And if we do that, the enemy of our souls does that. And he knows exactly, exactly what to do. Now, I know all of you have, have at one level or another, you've heard stories, you've got things you know, you've experienced things that have happened in the spiritual realm, probably in your own life. And all of that is real. But one thing I want us to always remember that we have a source and a, a place where we need to go. I mean, my question to you is, how do we know anything? There is, after all, we do have a source of authority for what we do know. Um, starts here with Scripture. In 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And then the passage in Peter says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or human in- initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Here's something you need to understand about the Bible. The Bible doesn't necessarily answer every single question we have. That is true. Because it wasn't written for that intent necessarily. But here's something else. There's a lot of things that happen in the world we, we don't know about. And there's some things where the Bible gives us really a lot of detail and other things it does not. So you as a Christian, you have a choice to make. What I prefer to do is when I look at Scripture, I see what it says. And where, it, where the here's just an old, uh, an old axiom you can use in your life. Where the Bible speaks loudly, speak loudly. Where it speaks softly, speak softly. And there's going to be times where we just don't know things. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Because it's impossible to know. And anytime somebody comes to me and they says, well, I think this and this and this. And I want to say, I do say, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, this is what happened to me. I said, well, I know that happened to you. But if it's not in the scripture, then I can't put my trust in it and know for sure this is what it is. So as we look at this, what I'd like us to do is not only see some of the schemes of the enemy, but then some of the ways that we should be fighting the enemy. I want us to take a look specifically at this. So the first thing I think we need to do is armor up. And you know, familiar with this scripture, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's that word scheme again. He's a schemer. He's a crafty, evil schemer. Don't ever forget that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is the battle. Now, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many of you have ever wrestled a demon every day. Probably not a lot. Because usually what happens is we deal in the physical world. But what you need to understand is there's more to life than the physical world. And there's a spiritual world out there, and it's active. And if we forget about that, we do a disservice not only to Scripture, but to our own reality. Then he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. What I like about this scripture, first off, is this. You can stand. You can stand. Don't ever think that you can't stand. You can stand. And again, what he says is prepare in advance. 
So then he goes on and he says, uh, and after you've done everything, (laughs) stand. Keep standing. Don't give up. Stand firm then. That's three stands, by the way. Uh, With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, truth, truth. Truth is, is so crucial. Where do you find truth? The only place you can really trust that you're going to find truth is in the word. Stand on what you know is true. So when, when everything is against you and you feel like you've been abandoned, is that true? No, it's not true. It may feel like that and look like that, but you serve a Savior who will never leave you, never forsake you. And sometimes it helps to say that out loud. I know that he will never leave me, never forsake me. Sometimes you need to preach to yourself. And let yourself hear that because there's a thing psychologists call self-talk is when we, we let our minds kind of go wild and say, well, maybe you aren't good enough or maybe you will always fail or maybe it'll never work out or maybe, maybe it's just you're not good enough. That's negative self-talk. What I'm suggesting is you do positive self-talk and remind yourself about what's true. All right, next thing it says is uh, with the breastplate of righteousness, do never, 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 never discount the fact that sin in your life will lead you into bad places. Don't ever fool yourself into thinking you can get away with it. If you start to think that, that's a lie of the enemy, and that's what he does to trap you in your own life and sin. Then he goes on, and he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flame, all, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This, that's, that's how you're set for battle. That's what he says. You need to armor up. Armor, armor up. Now, I'm going to keep rolling here. We're not going to, we could preach sermon after sermon series on this one portion of scripture, and you've heard those before. That's not what I'm going to do tonight. What I'm going to do is take you through a lot of scriptures that show you not only the battle we're in, but why you can have confidence in the fact that you're on the winning side already. So let's take a look here at this next thing. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Your great enemy, the devil. In, in other versions of the Bible, I love it, the different words it uses. In one place it says your great adversary, the devil. The person who is against you, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm, there's that word again, against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Same kind of suffering. Stay alert. He starts off right there and he says, stay alert. Stay alert. Why do you think he says that? I'll tell you why. It's because as Christians, it's easy to get lulled into a sense of complacency or to get lulled into a soft um, uh, battle stance where you're just going through the motions. You're not taking it serious. I mean, how often have you seen in a movie or something where someone's on guard and the person's sneaking up to take over, they just wait for that moment that they're not paying attention and they've let their guard down. We as Christians need to remain vigilant and don't forget that we're in a spiritual battle and you're fighting it all the time. And you need to keep fighting. You need to stay alert. When he talks about that roar, I I was thinking back to um, quite a few years ago now, I took a group of students to... uh, Cameroon, Africa, and then on the way we stayed right in, in um, we stayed in Ethiopia, right in the capital in Addis Ababa. And while we were there, we had one day we had an entire day to to kill, you know. And I didn't want to lose the opportunity, so I talked to the guy at the hotel and I said, "Hey, is there somebody who could take our group around and show us what we need to see here while we're here?" So they took us to there's a market there that's world renowned, been there for centuries. And then they took us to this museum or this uh, zoo. 
because this is their national symbol. Their, their national uh, animal is this lion. And so they have a lion zoo. It's just lions. But here's what's crazy. You know, you go to foreign countries, you go to places that don't have the same safety requirements we have in the U.S. Do you see what's keeping me from that lion? Vir- virtually nothing. I don't know if you can tell that. I mean, he could stick his paw out there at any moment. But as we were watching these lions, that's how close you are, just like that. I mean, it's, it's insane. And uh, this, this person wasn't with our group, but that, see where that lion's paw is? <laughs> Do you see that chain link fence and how the paw is actually under the fence? We were that close. So our students are all standing there getting pictures and everything. And I'm just, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, all right, I know they don't seem to be concerned about this, but I am. I mean, these are my students and we're in a foreign country. And at any moment they could have been, you know, grabbed by that lion. And then what ended up happening is this one right here. He growled. Not, not quite a roar, but that rumble that comes out of their throat. You've heard that before, right? Have you ever heard it when you're three feet away? Let me just tell you, it was awesome. I mean, it was an amazing feeling. It's kind of like when you feel the bass from like a stereo that's too loud or you're in a concert. In your chest, it was hilarious because um, every single one of those students screamed like a little girl (laughs) and jumped, you know, some of them literally like four feet, five feet. I mean, jumped. And all he did was just a little growl. It was amazing. And of course, the worker guys, like this guy just giggled. They just loved that, that that happened. And um, I immediately thought of the scripture. Because I, I don't know if you've ever studied or looked into lions, but they use their growls and their roars for a lot of things. They don't talk, but they use them for communicating with each other. And some of the things as I was researching, they can be pretty cruel as, as a predator. Sometimes they do that just to unnerve their prey, to see which one's are not going to run or how they're going to run or which ones are weak or which ones are slow. Sometimes they do it to drive the, the prey into the other hunters who are, who are completely silent. So I was thinking about that. And our great enemy, our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Think about how many times you have felt uh, so many of the things that he does to us. How many times have you felt intimidated just by the thought of, of what he can do. And I think he does that. And he uses that as a tool to just torment, to strike fear in people. To, to make it as if, as, if, as if you can't stand against him. Here's the thing. He is a great and horrible adversary. I, I, this, as I was studying, I came across this, this line. I've never heard it before and it makes so much sense. Do you realize you don't have to do anything for him to hate you? You don't have to do anything for him to hate you. He just hates you. He hates, he hates who you are, who you might possibly become. He hates that you're the apple of God's eye. He hates that there's goodness in you. He hates that you have joy at any point or any time in your life. And he wants to destroy all of that. He wants to destroy whatever joy you have now, whatever joy you could possibly have. If you have a joyful memory, he wants to destroy that too. That's who your enemy is. And if he can do that by intimidation, he'll do it. What I want to just caution you about is, you know, as we look back in history, some people, they don't like being hated. They want to be liked. I'm kind of, I like being liked. I know that's a flaw. I remember one time one of my uh, bosses at one point said, you know, not everybody's going to like you. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh yeah, they will. I'll make them like me. I thought that. 
And if you go through life like that, you, you will be working to please people rather than doing the right things. And if you're worried about him not liking you, sorry, he's going to always not like you. There is no appeasing this enemy. We've all lived long enough to see on the national and international stage when we try to appease evil. Have you seen that? You give him a little bit. I mean, the classic is Neville Chamberlain, right, with, with, uh, with Hitler trying to appease him, and then all of a sudden he rolls into Poland, and everybody's like, what? How could you do that? Well, because he's evil. That's what evil people do. Evil is evil. You cannot appease it. Don't ever think you're going you're gonna to make some kind of a pact with him and get away with whatever. You are not going to get away with it. He's going to use it to destroy you, whatever he can. Here's, here's something else, though, I want you to think about. If he can get you super obsessed with him and preoccupied with him and super fascinated with him and worried about him, you know, a demon under every rock and behind every bush, then he wins. Do you see that? One of the things we know about him is that the Bible talks about him being full of pride. That pride, he loves when you worry about him all the time. He loves when you're overly fascinated and unhealthy fascination with him. He loves that. That's why for me, personally, I don't mention him very much because I just want to make him angry. I want to ignore him. I don't want to ever give him credit for anything. I never say his name hardly because I know he wants to hear that. And he likes when, when we are crediting him with problems. He loves that. So I don't give it to him because I don't want him to have that. But let me just say there's a danger here. There's a danger in being overly obsessed, like so much that you can't think about anything else and you blame everything on him. And then the other problem is you ignore him too much and live in ignorance. That's a problem too. You realize there's incredibly huge segments of the church that completely ignore the fact that there's an enemy of our souls. And they act as everything is physical and concrete. And the truth is, we don't have a lot of detail in the scriptures about how much his influence is or how much the temptation works. And then in James, it says we're tempted and drawn away by our own lusts. And we sin, and it's our responsibility so there's dangers on both sides. If you're overly fascinated and you give him all the credit for everything, then you don't take any personal responsibility and he wins that way. Then on the other hand, if you completely ignore him and act like he doesn't exist, he wins that way. He doesn't care which way he will destroy you. He just wants to destroy you. So you don't want to fall into either of those two extremes because both of them are dangerous and both of them uh, are, are dangerous. Let me just say it that way. If you think he's a toothless lion, and you're not worried about him, let me just remind you about a few things. He knows humanity. He's been around since the beginning. He knows who you are. He knows how to tempt you. He knows that each of us are, 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 are uh, fallible in different ways and tempted toward different things. So he just uses different tools. I had a fr- uh, friend of mine at, over at Sheffield. He used to always say, new level, new devil. You ever heard that before? Here's what he does too. Once you conquer one thing, then you need to work on another thing because the fact is we're always, the, the Bible talks about how God is continually perfecting us in our faith. We are continually being made more and more and more into the likeness of Christ himself. And until we get to heaven, we will never be there. And the truth is, if it's pride you struggle with and you finally get a handle on that, then it might be selfishness. I mean, it's just the thing is, there's always gonna be something. It doesn't have to be some big, glaring, horrible sin, but it's always gonna be something. He will always be trying to to fool you, to distract you, to slow you down, to discourage you. Even if he can just get you complacent and think you're doing great, 
and resting on your laurels, then he's good there too. It can be direct or indirect. It's still defeat. It's still slow. And if you discount him, you do so at your own peril because he is not somebody to be trifled with. Here's some things that we do know about him. He's a created being. Don't ever get the idea that he's equal to in any way to God. God created him. To say that good and evil are equal, like, like they do in Star Wars, you know, with the op- good and bad of the force, or, or Taoism, or any, any of those religions, that's a lie from the enemy. The fact is, he is not equal, never will be. Never, ever will be. Here's some other things we know about him. He is not omniscient. In other words, he does not know everything. He's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere. He's not God. Only God can be those things. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful. There are times in Scripture and very few where God has said, okay, you can do this. But even in the temptation of Christ, is that a movie? Temptation. Well, anyway, the temptation of Christ, he says things that he can't do. He's a liar. It's what liars do. It's just what liars do. So don't believe that stuff. And then that word omnificent, that just means he's not creative. He can't make things. All he does is take good things God has made, and he ruins them, and he spoils them, and he makes them unholy. That's what he does. He doesn't make anything. He just ruins things. That's his nature. What else we know about him? We know he's a thief. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he's not only the, or he's the thief. Oh, we, we already read that a minute ago. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know he's the father of liars. In John chapter 8, he said he's the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning, and liars lie. It's like that old, that old uh, it might be an Aesop's fable where, where the snake begs the, isn't it a snake? Or, oh, whatever. Scorpion snake, whatever, begs the hippo to take him across the water. And he says, no, you'll bite me. And he says, no, I won't. I need the ride. And as he's going across the water, he bites him, and they both drown. He says, why did you do that? He goes, well, you knew I was a snake. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's what he does. He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver from the beginning. He intends to deceive you in any way he can, he will, and he's an accuser. Actually, the word, uh, is it? I think it's Satan means accuser, right? Isn't that the one? We use all these words for him, all these names for him. Uh, There's not just one name for him. I mean, Lucifer, all those names. But the fact is, he's an accuser. You know what he does? He accuses you before the Father. We see a little glimpse of that in the book of Job where he comes before him and he says, hey, have you considered, God says to the enemy, he says, have you considered my servant Job? And and he's, he's sinless in all these ways and he's pure in heart and all this. And then the enemy, the accuser says, well, he wouldn't be if he didn't have such a great life. That's what he does. And he accuses you in your mind. He accuses you. He tells you you're not that good. And he tells you, hey, that sin you did 20 years ago, you're still wearing that guilt of that. That comes from him. That condemnation comes from him. Jesus, or the Bible says that there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Any condemnation you feel is from him, not from God. That's not how it works. So how do you fight this guy? How do you fight this enemy? How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, the first thing, the first thing you need to know is whose side you're on. You're not on the side of the destroyer. You're on the side of one who gives life. And the fact is, you, First John says, you are from God, little children. You, you're from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that's in with you than he that's within the world. The he that's in you is stronger and greater than anything in the world. Anything you'll encounter, he's stronger than that. That's who's in you. That's who you are. It, I look at it like this. You need to know your place. 
Your place is with the strong one. Your place is, is with the redeemed. Your place is, is not with the one that's in the world. And you who's in you is stronger than he that's in the world. Something else you needed to learn. You just, we're just going to walk through all these, okay? You need to submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. The fact is, as you submit yourself to God, as you turn yourself over to him, your will, your wants, your desires, everything, and then you resist the devil, say, no, I'm not going that direction. That does take an action on your part. You say no. You say no. Some, have you ever talked to somebody who maybe, they, maybe it was your kid? And they say, I couldn't help it. I just, I had to eat it, right? I had to do it. I couldn't help it. You know that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie from the liar that we want to tell because it gets us off the hook and you're never off the hook. The fact is, resisting is an action you take. You need to submit and resist. Uh, this is that full scripture that I used in the very beginning when I said, Satan will not outsmart us for we are aware of his evil schemes. I intentionally didn't put the first part of that verse in there because I wanted to use it here. And what it says is, Paul is talking to the church in Corinthians. We don't know all the detail of this. All we know is that something had happened and this guy had wronged Paul. And then Paul writes to them and he says, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see how important forgiveness is? Forgiveness is a tool that the enemy will use. It's one of his schemes that he uses to separate uh, family members. He uses it to separate Christians. He uses it to separate friends. And he uses it all the time. We've, of course, you've heard million sermons on forgiveness. You know that unforgiveness is, somebody said once, it's like taking, taking poison and hope the other person dies. It kills you. And it gives the enemy a place in your heart that he does not deserve. And when you do that, it's, it's so funny how he twists us around. When you're not forgiving somebody, it's because they don't deserve it. Right? Of course not. They wronged you. They did what they did. No, they don't deserve it. But who is in pain? You are. He wins twice. Maybe more, off, more than that. But at least in two layers, he's winning. Because he's hurting you with that unforgiveness. And you are carrying that around. And it's preventing you from having the relationship that you could have. The relationship full of life. And not necessarily even with that person, but with anybody else. Because we walk around with that unforgiveness. And it continues, continues to hurt us. It's one of his schemes. Look at this. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. He uses these things. He's such a clever, clever guy. He's a cruel clever person and that's what he does he wants to hold you in that place so you never give that forgiveness and you never are rid of that anger is all anger evil no jesus was angry at times you can be angry you can be angry at the enemy you can be angry all day long if you want but the fact is you're not supposed to let it linger and grow in your heart and mind you're just not supposed to look at this this is you got to let go of anger this is one of my favorite passages of scripture on this for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If you were to only read that scripture, that could be a little spooky, right? And what weapon are you looking for? It's almost like magic, right? I mean, you're looking at it like, what do I do? What is this weapon that has divine power? What do you think it is? Do you remember the context of this verse? What comes next? Anybody? Anybody? 
It's not the Bible in this case. Nice try. That was, that was good. But we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And it does come into play there. It's truth. Do you know what the knowledge of God is in the truth? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So let me just go back. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. And how do you do it? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And you know the knowledge of God by how much you know your word and what the truth is about God. And that we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Arguments and thought control. I think a lot of where we struggle with the enemy is in our own minds. Because it's so easy to believe the lies that he tells us. It's so easy to believe the lies. And, and, and we, we repeat them to ourselves over and over. And we so easily forget the truth that God loves you. He cares about you. He's more powerful. That no matter what is happening in this world, he still cares and reigns. It's hard to remember that. And so what you need to do is demolish those arguments and then control your own thoughts. Did anybody else? I think I mentioned this before. When my mom said to change your attitude and you could change it. You can do the same thing with your thoughts. You really can. It's hard. It's not easy for everybody. And honestly, the longer you've developed a negative thought pattern, the harder it is to change that to positive. But you can. You can. And, and the Bible clearly says to do that here. It is literally a tool that we use. What did it say? A divine power to demolish strongholds, to change the way you think about those things. Let's keep rolling here. Arguments and thought. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. I like this verse. It's, a, it's an Old Testament verse out of the book of Isaiah. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you. Did you ever think of tongues being a weapon? Of course you did. Of course you did. Because people use the, that tongue. And James talks about the tongue being an incredible fire that lights worlds on fire. And he says it's, it's, it's stronger than the rudder that controls a big ship. He talks about it being a, a bridle in a horse's mouth. Yes, it is a weapon that is used against you. And he says, I mean, and includes other weapons, but in this case, he uses that as an example. And then he says this. You love this. It's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's who you are. You are servants of the Lord. You are. And look who fights for you. The vindication is from me, declares the Lord. He is your vindicator. He's the one who gives you hope. If you thought that you were going to be the one to just go out there and wrestle with the devil, that's not what he's talking about. Yeah, there's going to be times where you need to talk yourself down or you're going to need to say, uh, look, I serve him and he that's with me is greater than you. And a lot of times it helps us to say that stuff out loud because we hear it and convinces us. But the fact is, he's the one who fights for us. Look at this victory in Jesus. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through who? Through him. Through him, look at this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That used to be up in our church growing up. Did anybody else have that verse up there? Uh, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Who does it? The Lord does it. If, and I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I like this too. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
that's again where I hear people say, oh, I couldn't help it. I was just tempted beyond what I could, like whatever. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You have to take the exit though. You have to choose to exit. You have to choose to resist and you have to choose to exit. He leaves it to you. Let's keep going. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You need to know what the truth is about, about him, about the world, about how it all works. And then uh, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. And this is, this is really a testimony about those in the book of Revelation who gave their lives. But I want you to see that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. We need to testify. You need to testify. But I've been redeemed, and I know that, and my life has been changed, and he's done this for me. And yes, I'm struggling with this, but he is the, he is the healer. He's the one who meets my needs. He's the one who communes with my soul and gives me peace that passes all understanding in spite of the circumstances I see. He's the one who, who even when I don't see the answer to prayer, I know he loves me still and cares about me. He's that one. He's the one. And what shall I say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? What you need to know is God is for you. It's not, it doesn't mean if he is. It doesn't mean if he is in the sense that he may not be. What it means is, compared to all these things, God's for you. Who could possibly, possibly be against you? Last one. I have not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We could have done this all day long, but I knew you needed to go home, right, at some point. Here's what I want us to do for a minute. I want you to shut your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about a battle that you've been in. Whatever. You may not even think of it as spiritual, or it may, may be clearly spiritual to you. Could be a, could be a struggle with some, some thought or, or grief or something in your mind. It could be a situation you just can't seem to see any way out of. It might be a, a situation that you're thinking now, huh, if the enemy is involved in this, then he's a liar, and where is the truth in this? It may be that you need to remember that there is a God who loves you, and greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. It may be a situation where you need to resist, and up until now, you've been a, an appeaser, and you realize, no, you cannot be an appeaser. You need to resist. It may be that for you, you need to just speak those truths out loud. You know who God is. You know he is greater than anything that is in the world. And that he's there and he cares about you and he loves you. And you are the apple of his eye. And that he's got a plan for you. His plans for you are to do good and to prosper you. That is who he is. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, Christ has come, to give you life and life more abundant. You may need to speak those words out loud before you leave tonight you may need to just repeat those to your, to to yourself and to him but i just want to pray over you father i pray for everybody in this room tonight that god that you would encourage them in a way that is beyond even their understanding or expectation that you would encourage them and give them the sense of peace that you know who they are you know where they are you know what they're going through and you know what they need God, I pray that you would encourage them and give them that sense, an overwhelming sense that you are greater than anything they encounter and that you can be trusted and for them to lean in on you and let you walk them through whatever it is that they're dealing with. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Dave, if you could just put some music on.
and you spend as much time as you want. Praise the Lord.